Welcome to the Sweet Science of Fighting podcast. Today, we have Nick Littlehouse. Welcome, Nick. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. And just so we can get a brief introduction about yourself, we'll do that. But Nick is the author of this book, Sleep. So if you're watching this, I'll link this down in the description afterwards. But also get your hands on that copy. I've had, I think I got this over maybe seven, seven or eight years ago when it first came out. But it's a great book. And we're going to dive into some of the concepts uh, here around sleep. But do you want to maybe just provide a brief background about yourself, Nick, just for the listeners? Um, I sort of fell into the industry after spending a little bit of time sort of uh, in sport myself as a young teenager. Um, The sleep industry uh, was really not suited to me, but that's where I ended up. Um, I managed to graduate up to being a international sales and marketing director with a big company that made mattresses and pillows and things and i played a part in setting up the first uk sleep council which is like an umbrella body for the trade and was chairman of that for a while um we became a very big group uh, and that created all sorts of opportunities and complications but um sort of hit my you know early 40s and just realized that the industry I was in, you know, sleep was taken for granted. It's really important. Nobody was doing anything about it. I could never find a definitive approach. It was all a bit, you know, it's not really a health pillar in that sense. And um, so I just decided I was going to go off and do something different. Um, during that particular time, working my contract out, I happened to uh, sponsor a local football club in the UK up in the northwest called Oldham Athletic. That led me to get involved with a few uh, football type events because I was sponsoring one of the teams, you know. Well, my company was, it was just I wrote the checkout. Uh, <laughs> that meant I bumped into a manager of a local football team called Manchester United called Alex Ferguson. And this was the late 90s. And we just had a little conversational chat, like you do, in a room mm-hmm. with other people. <laughs> um, uh, because I was the guy who was responsible for sponsoring the shirts, he was sort of going, you know, what do you do? Da, da, da. I said, I do this. Uh, I was just trying polite conversation, you know, just, you know, does football clubs like yourself do anything about sleep or anything like that? And he just said no. He happened to be quite intrigued why he said no. Um and asked the question of his staff, why don't we do anything in this particular area? And that led to a conversation with um, their head physio at the time. And we looked into, he asked me to come in and have a chat. Um, I was not a sleep coach. I was not, uh, I got a lot of experience. I'd seen a lot of things. I'd got my own particular views about things. Um, so I was able to have a conversation with them along those lines and we did a little bit of work with one of the players that led on to doing a bit of work with some of the other players that led on to thinking about um, more significant things when they started to do uh, doubling up pre-season training sessions so they train in the morning Mm. and in the afternoon which they'd never done before in preparation for the season so that opened up certain discussions about the data that was being produced in the afternoon and the morning that that sort of slightly changed. That led into things like, I'm sure we'll come on to things like chronotypes, these sort of little mm-hmm. genetic twists about morning and night timers. 
Um, that led on to a recovery room uh, in between training sessions where we'd encourage the players to go and you know, knock it out for 30 minutes um, as a powerful thing. Um, strange old time when you look back at it, the late 90s. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think I'd pretty much got my first phone that just made phone calls, you know? So it was kind of very unusual to be talking about sleep with a football mm. club as big as Manchester United back then. So probably any other manager, any other club at that particular time, that conversation would have never developed, you know? Yeah. So a lot of those players uh, went on to play for the national squad, England squad. That um, one of the lead physio for the national squad was also a physio for a club called Arsenal. And that led to me getting asked to go in and coach the first team squad at Arsenal with their manager Arsene Wenger at the time, who had a completely different maverick approach to managing athletes. Um, so that's why he let me in. Um, it was at that time that the media found out that there was somebody going around talking to these, you know, pampered first team footballers <laughs> in the UK uh, about sleep. And it was a bit of tongue in cheek. It was a bit of like, bit of laughing in the media, like what on earth is this? Um, so basically I was given the title as a, a sleep coach because obviously coaching sports and it's about sleep. So they gave me the title <laughs> of sleep coach. And from that particular moment, I had to sort of like make it up to be honest, you know? So what mm -hmm. is a sleep coach? What does he do? What, how do you approach things? How do you deliver things? And so that sort of started my journey and, uh, I can fairly safe to say, apart from, apart from very, one very loose area in the military where they would have somebody specifically about recovery and sleep uh, within the military, but it was very, very basic. I was pretty much the first ever sleep coach, probably, in sport ever. So a journey then led to working with other clubs, other sports, um, around 2008, I got involved with a pretty much a dynamic uh, cycling team called British Cycling and the Sky Pro mm -hmm. Cycling team. That led us into 2012, the London Olympics, where we were smashing gold medals left, right and centre, winning the yeah. Tour de France. And it was all based on a thing called the aggregation of marginal gains. And that's just looking at absolutely everything and seeing if you can find a little 1% factor, then it all comes together to create an overall improvement rather than looking at any specific thing uh, or any specific areas. Look at absolutely everything, like how you wash your hands, all that sort of stuff, you know? So um, interesting. that really brought me a little bit more to the forefront because in the aggregation of marginal gains, they couldn't ignore sleep. Um, they got me in to help with that particular area, which was a very broad brush of all sorts of elements about the recovery and sleeping environments and everything. And then, um, you know, since then, over the last two decades, you know, wow, hasn't this world changed for anybody who's, you know, <laughs> older than 30? It's, um, it's just been a constant shift of things. So now my role is 
a combination of protecting people from the challenges of this uh, 27 world we live in and um, but also mm -hmm. looking at performance and so it's a combination of the two there's a lot more coaches around now there's a lot more sleep experts there's a lot more knowledge and information about but I have to say as I wander around working with all sorts of different elite athletes including fighters esporters poker players you know never mind you know women's football women's rugby you know snowboarders skiers whatever it is they're just humans who sleep and whatever occupation they have to be like in sport you want to try and optimize that and not waste time doing it without benefit so i think um whilst there's a lot more focus on the area and a lot more knowledge and awareness i think we're still on those first baby steps of trying to define an approach that people can adopt and feel comfortable and confident mm. about it and stop worrying about it because that's its biggest disruptor so um you know funny old journey didn't set out to be a sleep coach or whatever but <laughs> i have to say you know it's been a bit of fun and quite rewarding when you're working inside of some of the most elite level sporting athletes and organizations mm -hmm. so you know good fun and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it oh nice yeah and you mentioned about about the approaches as well so that's where i, I want to start this because the general advice is always just sleep eight hours and as you mentioned you know some it can cause anxiety if you're going to bed maybe later than usual you have to get up earlier than usual you're only going to get seven and a half seven and you go oh shit i need to fall asleep fast and you can't fall asleep mm -hmm. and you get into these cycles of not being able to sleep for whatever reason but do you want to maybe dive into your approach and this idea of i guess the myth of getting eight hours because obviously within your approach you're not looking to hit that eight hour mark you sleep you do things in cycles so you know, maybe just dive into that a bit yeah that's, a, that's a, a big question so i'll just tap into some of the key bits um, yeah <laughs> i became you know you hear this you know get your eight hours if you only get six you're going to fall apart and complications in the short and the long term i hadn't met anybody including myself who ever achieved a solid eight hour block consistently um, without awakenings, disturbances. So I thought, well, you can allocate eight, nine, 12 hours if you want, but are you actually going to go into a sleep state and get that quality sleep? Well, that's down to your brain. So I was confused by just because you allocate the amount of time, does that mean you're getting the quality from your sleep? And the answer for me was no. Um, there was no real argument about the percentage of recovery time in any 24 hours that a human would be in in this sleep type state so it's it's 30 odd percent it's that makes eight hours so that's really where that comes from but i was also fascinated by up until electric light uh, came into our lives back in the sort of 1930s not that long ago is that there was no evidence of humans actually sleeping in a what's called a monophasic block, which is just one block nocturnally. It was always either twice a day, three times a day, or, you know, four or six times a day. And that's not necessarily the way that we perceive sleep today. But that was a lot of mm. sort of going into a sleep state for a few for a period of time, but also then other recovery moments. We're aware of things like siesta, midday, and there's one late afternoon. And it's sort of like, well, that's called polyphasic sleeping. Now, 
Why, why did we shift away from that? And that's because we invented light, we changed our exposure to light, we spent more time inside rather than outside. Um, we sort of readjusted our own internal circadian clocks to do it. But probably up until the mid-90s, we were getting away with it, you know, one block. And since then, there's so much more pressure and challenges, exciting sometimes, scary, in the world that we live in, that, and particularly in sport, that you just simply could not adopt that the whole premise about sleep's performance was getting a solid eight hours. So like you said, it was always creating worry yeah. and anxiety that it's not being achieved. So I had been in many sleep clinics and I had seen clinical professionals measuring us as humans in a clinic and they would look at a 90-minute cycle. Right? They would watch brainwave patterns going through a 90-minute period, shifting through light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, this sort of thing. Uh, and they would come in sort of various percentages. So light sleep would pretty much dominate. The deep sleep, non-REM stuff, was probably around 20 to 25% max in any particular cycle. What was also, when you looked at the next 90-minute cycle, then those brainwave patterns keep generating it, but the same thing is happening. The brain's looking for that deep sleep, but it's only around 20 or 25%. Once you move into the third cycle, the third 90 minutes, so you're four and a half hours in now, is the brain sort of stops hunting for that deep sleep because you're actually in moving into wake cycles because a bit like the sort of sun sets, it comes round back to your zip code, postcode, and he's about to start waking the planet up again. So it stopped looking in cycles four, five, and, you know, four and five. So a 90-minute cycle is the length of a football game. So when I'm trying to change the sort of narrative, the language, and stop people thinking about sleeping eight hours, it made sense to sort of think about, well, five 90-minute cycles is 7.5 hours. Well, that defines it a little better, but we're thinking in cycles. It also allowed me to focus their attention on it's the first two cycles of any sleep period that is the critical two cycles for developing this quality deep sleep, which can easily be lost. So if you looked at a, a sort of sleep-wake routine between, say, 11 o'clock at night and 6.30 in the morning, that's five 90-minute cycles. That's 7.5 hours allocated. Uh, and so it's the first two cycles that we're trying to focus on uh, in that five cycle routine it gave us timings it gave mm -hmm. us sort of like an anchor point a reset point um like 6 30 is when we normally want to start our day that's our sunrise so we're trying to recreate an anchor point to start that 24 hour like the sun does we think about the first 90 minute cycle the second cycle so when you get an anchor point like 6 30 um then you've got 16 cycles and there's 16 little rhythmic patterns to what you do in cycle one, cycle two, cycle three, all the way through. So cycle 16 is your wake cycle into 6.30 from five o'clock. You've got 11 o'clock into 6.30, which is five 90-minute cycles. But you could also consider 12.30 into 6.30 and four cycles and six hours without awakenings, without disturbances, still generating that deep sleep. So what happens is you are improving the quality of your recovery and taking the focus away for how much time you're allocating to it. You can start to think of 
that polyphasic approach is maybe you can add in you know a little 30 minute cycle because that's 30 percent of a 90 minute cycle you know known as the nap snoozers for losers so try to change that <laughs> so we look at little controlled recovery periods and say let's think about a 24-hour polyphasic approach to our recovery and maybe four cycles at night between 12 you know half past 12 and 6 30 maybe little tiny little micro crps every cycle throughout the day and maybe a little 30 minute cycle you know late afternoon where we're not trying to sleep we're just vacant mind spacing and that takes mm. the pressure off phase three so we can start to sort of depressurize the process create a bit more space in the day to get what we needed done and that helps the brain when you do present yourself to go to sleep is look for that quality so hopefully everybody got that just trying to give you a short answer <laughs> no that's perfect and i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to get this as practical as possible for the listeners too but so I think I recall, I read the book a long time ago, but there, you can aim for a certain number of cycles within a week. So then obviously you're not, you're not so dead set on the day of hitting the number and getting anxious about it. It's like, okay, I can, if I have less sleep tonight, I can make it up later in the week. Is that, is that part of that philosophy? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think many people will be aware of, you know, HRV, you know, heart rate variability. And it's sort of, Mm -hmm. It's a good indicator to, to recovery and how, how an athlete is and how we all are because, you know, we've all got trackers. So it is those sort of variabilities. Isn't it? What you're looking for uh, in there is, is what sort of numbers and data you're getting from those variables. So you've got human recovery variabilities. So what it is, we've all, you know, hardly slept, not slept at all, had a really disturbed night, and the following day we still smash it right we still go out and really achieve mm -hmm. so we kind of look at it and say well if you go five cycles a day you're five a day make sort of sleep recovery your first health pillar rather than tagged on at the back and think five cycles a day could look like you know four cycles nocturnally at night like i mentioned and six solid hours without disturbances which could give you real quality we can think of all these other little tiny moments in every other cycle that adds up. And then we can look at that 30 minute cycle as another one. So a five cycle routine could look like four nocturnal, uh, one midday, short one. It could be just five nocturnal, you know, between 11 and 6.30. But what you've got is a five a day. So seven days, you've got 35 cycles. If you're using one routine, then that's 35 cycles nocturnally, 11 to 6.30. If you're on a five-cycle routine but four nocturnally, then that's 28 nocturnal cycles each, each 24 hours, bolstered by this late afternoon cycle, which you'll have seven of them in a week. And maybe you're looking at, you know, four, five or six little micro recovery periods. You know, just looking out the window, half filling your hydration bottle so you have to go to refill it creating little recovery moments that you know two or three minutes for your brain all adds up so you can actually sit down with a coach or yourself mm. and go look 35 cycles across a seven day period i can truly try to look at this and adapt it to see how which sort of combination works best for me you know four at night or five at night we've also got things getting in the way 
you know, like in sport, it could be late night arrivals at airports, it could be traveling from east, west coast in America. There's all sorts of things. There's, there's parties, there's holidays, there's late night games, there's, there's all sorts of things that will get in the way. So what you're sort of looking at is rather than going, I've got some variability. So across the course of seven days, if I'm sort of achieving 28 nocturnal back-to-back -back cycles, if I'm balancing that with other little moments, then I'm getting my 35. But they might adjust themselves a little bit depending on certain things that are going on, right? So it really gives a coach a really to look at the week, look at the month, look at the year, because you just pro rata that up, don't you? This is the target for the athlete. 35 mm. a week, five a day, bang, bang, bang. And you can really sort of see where the pressure points are. And the things about it, you can start to take the pressure off those pressure points before you even get there. Because you'll be able to adapt that technique in your head a little bit by going, I'm going to add something in midday as well as late afternoon. I'm going to not get in until 2 o'clock in the morning there so rather than actually forcing myself to go to sleep when i'm high on adrenaline or i've been traveling is to actually do other recovery activities in that bit before 6 30 and then midday late afternoon you're back on so we all know about sleep deprivation but you can't catch it up you can't get it back it's gone so it's kind of that far more positive attitude towards what you're doing is it in certain periods of time that sort of your cycles will will look a little bit different but you're very positive of how you get you're optimizing your recovery so instead of worrying about losing sleep or losing cycles or having to catch up and readjust that's the last thing your brain wants is a random approach to this it likes some element of rhythm and pattern and consistency and sustainability it's not looking at monday through to sunday it has no relationship with 24 hours. That's the clock we put on it. It has no relationship with Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. So as a human, you should just sort of resync yourself into that mindset of it's your rolling cycles as you go through every day, every seven-day period, keep revealing what's going on, being able to adapt and adjust, bang. And suddenly you start hearing, you know, athletes talking, you know, how did you sleep last night? And they go... I don't even think about it. Why not? Well, I don't <laughs> worry about it. Why not? Because I'm on a 35-cycle routine, 28 nocturnally, 7 midday, and 42 little tiny CRPs. And that's my parameters. And as long as I keep doing things, you know, in every cycle of my day that I know adds up to help my brain. So when I present myself to sleep, I don't have to worry because my brain will take over It'll go and get the quality of sleep that I would like. Sometimes it won't. But when I wake up in the morning and start my day at 6.30, I just crack on with the same approach. I don't worry about what happened last night. I just keep doing the things I know work. And hopefully, more times than not, I get good quality recovery. And it's a far better mindset than, oh my God, I've only got eight hours left before tomorrow morning. I need to go to sleep. Mm. sleeping tablets, yeah. melatonin supplements <laughs> have, a, have a few beers wherever it might, binaural beats let me listen to this, <laughs> let me meditate it's all this sort of panic of you're in control of your sleep but by that time, it's way too late so it's trying to sleeping is about what you do while you're awake not while you're asleep
Nice. And just to take, I guess, this even deeper for someone who maybe is working full time. So for example, a lot of the listeners might work full time, they might train before work or after work or both. Mm -hmm. And in that day, it might be difficult to fit a 30 or 90 minute nap in there. So what advice do you have for someone who has a schedule like that? Well, the thing is, schedules get created by us. Um, and mm. by the occupation or that we, you know, we have. So it's a little like when children come along into into people's lives and it sort of completely shifts the yep. whole ball game with schedules, doesn't it? So it's like, so you've chosen this occupation. That was six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you've chosen this occupation. <laughs> These are the demands of the occupation and this is how you've got to roll. Okay. The first thing you have to remind yourself is pretty much every single person I've ever coached, when they say exactly the same to me, is there is time. It's just you don't allocate it, right? There's a lot of time in all mm. of our lives where we're filling it, rather, we're filling it with stuff to do, you know, and that can become quite obsessive. What you sort of do is go, well, there, are, there is 20 or 30 minutes that we can have for us. It's just how important it is to you, right? So you kind of give somebody that mindset that you can be more productive, you can train better, you can have less injuries, you can have more of a mental psych psychological gain, you can feel comfortable you're not wasting valuable time. I mean, 30% of a day, eight hours, is a long time. It's more than anything else we do apart from breathing probably. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, I don't want to be doing that. 30% of my day is doing that and I'm not getting any gains from it. Or I would love to get some gains. And that's what the 30 minutes become. So once you shift them into thinking like that, they start doing it and suddenly they can actually put in more productive training sessions they can protect themselves they're more consistent they create more space in the 24 hours because there's periods when they will feel tired there is fatigue and they'll push through it and it's trying to get rid of all of that to make them even quicker faster stronger and it's when when you know it doesn't take much for me to convince them because that's why they come and talk to me is there is another you right there's another you that you just don't know because you think you're at your personal best. You think you're doing everything amazingly well and successful. But I can tell you now there's another one that's just a little bit quicker, a little bit smarter, a little <laughs> bit more alert, not so fatigued. And that's the person you want, right? To be when you need them to happen. So I always sort of, and I just remind them that, you know, the last person I was coaching uh, was a single-handed round-the-world sailor. Um, now, that person decides to go on a challenge of sailing around the world on a boat. They're racing against other boats, but they can't see them. They're going through real challenges every day. They can't leave the deck and go down and get any sleep unless certain things are in place because it's too dangerous. So we coach in one of the polyphasic approaches, which is multiphasic six times in every 24 hours. So they'll just go down, strap themselves in, 26 minutes, grab some recovery, whatever that means, either sleeping or just fat, 
back on their deck, off, and they do that for three months. And a lot of them will come back after that, and they've absolutely smashed it. And they go, why have I been trying to sleep in such long blocks? When actually I've just spent three months mm. in a very intensive challenge, and I gathered all my recovery in a multiphasic way. So when they come back and they're unsure again, they just go, it's polyphasic for me, right? Because it's given them an example. And I think anybody who's listening to that, go, you know, I haven't got time to cram in a 30 minute, whatever, da, da, da. so yeah, 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 fine. And as a coach, like you know, you don't tell somebody to do something. They won't listen to you or they won't sustain it. You know, join yeah. the gym in January, they left it in March. What you do is you take them on a little journey and suddenly they realize that actually this is happening and actually nothing's changed. They've just, they've just changed what they think is important. And once you're in that place, you never go back and wished, wished you'd done it you know, a long time ago, however old you are. But I certainly, when I'm working with elite athletes now, you know, who are, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, 18 years old, they absolutely love it because they do not want to waste a minute of their days doing something without any benefits. They don't, they want to smash it 24 mm. seven. They want to feel like they're doing something that protects them that allows them to have a long career and achieve what they want. So they can look at it and go, wow, that's my edge. If I can get my, if I can go into that area and find my gains in that 30%, that's going to give me a real head start on everybody else, right? Because I will be better than nice. everybody else when it matters, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that answers your question. Yeah, and you no, that's, Adopt, That's perfect. adopt this very specific word, which is the first place you start on any journey, is are you coachable? Do you want to be coached? Right? And you have to ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what you try and do is consistently make it up yourself. There's too much information at the end of your fingertips to find it out yourself. And you think you can manage and coach yourself and discipline yourself and everything else. I can tell you now, that ain't working. It doesn't work for people. <laughs> no, that, that's a good call. And I wanted to, to dive into that nocturnal sleep cycle as well a little further. I think in the book you mentioned around when you, you mentioned setting your wake time and that's always your wake time. So if you miss, for example, the 11 to 6.30 example, say you miss the 11 o'clock window for whatever reason huh? and it's 11.30, you would then wait till 12.30 and then yeah. Um, yeah. always wake up at 6.30 regardless. Yeah. Well, the, what you're sort of reminding yourself is it's called circadian rhythms. It's the sun going around our planet and it's basically about light, dark and temperature shifts. And we used to be so synchronized to that, but humans keep creating things like daylight saving time, which is a nightmare, shifting the clocks through seasons. <laughs> I hate and it too. <laughs> there's things like we invented the electric light bulb and then suddenly thought, oh, we can just sleep at night. That's no problem. We invent 24 seven, you know, tech and culture. I mean, oh, yeah, it's absolutely fine to be shopping for clothes at three o'clock in the morning and getting them delivered by seven o'clock in the morning. It's, it's fine, isn't it? And gaming. But one fundamental thing is, is that we've all got a chronotype. It's a little genetic twist. Now, some would say mm -hmm. there's four chronotypes. Some trackers these days identify up to six because it's just related to the data that's going in. 
But the real thing is there's two. And that's a morning type and a night timer. And that means once you start thinking about your anchor point, you've got a, a natural chronotype wait time. So say you're an AMer, that might be 6.30, 6 o'clock. You start thinking about 8 o'clock, that's like mid-afternoon to you as an AMer. So you would pick a natural that's chronotype me. wait time <laughs> of like 5, 5.30, 5 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7 ish maybe. Right? Now the nighttime chronotype is thinking more like 8, 9.30, right? So if you had complete control and allowed your natural chronotype to reveal itself, which is just a phase delay on sunrise, right? AMers react to sunrise quicker than PMers do because of a little pineal gland and light receptors. So there's a little phase delay. So maybe my, my natural chronotype might be 8 o'clock. Your natural chronotype wait time could be 6.30. Then we apply our occupational wait time, right? So we both do the same job, right? Mm -hmm. We've both got to get up about 6.30 to get to our workplace for a particular time or training. So basically, I'm having to wake up at 6.30, which is not my natural time. It's a full cycle before I, my natural time. Your occupation and natural chronotype is the same. So you're in heaven, right? You're, you're hitting all the boxes. <laughs> and what we're doing is say we need to have this anchor point because this is our sunrise, right? In any 24-hour period. This is when we start the day, right? Yesterday's gone. Right, it's the sun and us as humans starting a new day. So that bit, and your post-recovery period, which is, for, in this example, six thirty into eight o'clock, your first ninety minutes. So the nighttime chronotype me has to really focus on what I do. In that first ninety minutes, particularly focused around light, because I've got to get myself into the same place as you do more naturally. Right, so it sort of gives you a mm -hmm. focus. Is we're both at six thirty. I know my chronotype. You know yours. What do I do in that first ninety minutes? So what you're saying is you come back again. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> is the sixteenth cycle between five and six thirty is your wake cycle. So if you're waking up. You know, 5.30, quarter to 6, 6 o'clock, 6.15. And then you're able to start your day around 6.30. Don't get too hung up. It's not exactly on the 6.30 clock. It's within that little time frame. Is that that's when I get up, mm. you know, have a wee, hydrate, breakfast, challenges, lots of light. Get on with my day, right? Um, if I wake up a bit closer towards 5.00, I then ask myself the question, I'm not getting far enough into that final cycle. So maybe I can just restrict my sleep time a little bit and push that closer towards 6.30. And the reason I can do that is I would just choose 12.30 for a few nights, right? Because that'll just shift it back mm -hmm. a bit. I can also, like you said, I may look at 11 into 6.30 is, is my optimal approach. And I can do that because of my occupation. Um, so that's your, but if there's, I want to be able to react, I want to be able to adapt with confidence. So if I think that at 11 o'clock slot is going to be under pressure and I don't want to sort of, you know, you start thinking pre-sleep around nine, you know, 
in that sort of 9.30 into 10, into 11-ish, is then I will just go to the next cycle. And it does take it down to four and six hours. But I've also got this mindset of a little 20-minute midday. I've got my one late afternoon. So it's kind of not disrupting things. I'm keeping rhythm. I'm keeping pattern. It's not random. And if you got in like, you know, quarter past 20 past 11 and think, oh, rush upstairs, brush your teeth and dive into bed because you're missing out on sleep. Well, your brain's had no chance to sort of drag itself away from what's just been happening. So it's inevitable mm. you'll probably have some awakenings going to the toilet or disturbed sleep or, or thoughts and things like that cropping up that won't allow the quality. So it's sort of like reminding yourself that what you're trying to do is to reveal the quality and what you're trying to do is not put your brain under pressure to try and do it when you're out of control of it and actually help it not just expect it to yeah. do it and that's why you know if you've got a flight and you could easily get up at say 5.45 you know to go and catch that flight not 6.30 then choose 5 o'clock to get up right or go back to 3.30, or mm. go back to 2 o'clock, or go back to 12.30, or go back to 11. You come all the way back again. You know, so what you're doing is, is when you're looking at everything you're doing, because these timings are just subconscious, is you're just constantly going about your life, and you're always looking for these little opportunities where nobody else needs to know about it. But you sort of go, you're able to sort of go, well, I'm, I, want to, I want to go and do some training before I get to work. Well, for you and I, that would mean five o'clock wait time, right? To be able to get up and do some stuff mm -hmm. before we got to work at the same time. So we're adding a full cycle on because we want to up our training schedule and later in the day. But sometimes when you start doing that, you think, well, I've got to go to bed earlier to, to replace that yeah. earlier start. What you immediately do is, no, I just need to create a 20-minute window midday along with my 30-minute window late afternoon, which I always do, and that'll just balance that approach rather than thinking I've got to go to sleep at 9.30 because I'm waking up at 5. The brain does not like mm. this because in the natural circadian rhythm of the day, there's four phases, and if you look at it, 6 o'clock in the morning into 12 midday, 6 o'clock in the evening into 12 midnight, there's a very distinct four phases. One is the dark period, nocturnal. You've got the serotonin, blue light period, phase one and phase two. And then you've got that melatonin, phase three period. And depending on the seasons, we mess about with that. But what you're always trying to do is you and your brain is asking yourself to fall within a rhythm and a pattern. And the the more times you're consistent with that, the better it will be. If you just shift it around and thinking you can just reset it like that, then you're on a road to, um, you know, poor performance. Hmm. Interesting. With the, um, with the napping as well, because obviously you mentioned obviously you can do 20, 30 or, or, or even 90 minute cycles as oh. a nap. Are you setting alarms for that? Because um, I'm thinking now, like sometimes I fall asleep, set an alarm, and you just kind of get startled awake and you, you feel groggy. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's mid-sleep cycle. I don't know. Is that something you're doing or not do you, doing? How often do you do it? Every day? <laughs> I, I used to. I haven't napped in a while. I probably should now after talking what about it, this. What it is, yeah, I used to do it every day. I used to nap every day. If I, 
if I do something that I think is positive, you know, like maybe taking half a litre of water on every 30 minutes, okay, then I shift that to half a litre every two or three hours. I'm starting to feel the effects of it, right? And it's, it's because I'm shifting mm -hmm. that thing. If I'm doing certain exercise routines and I stop it for a week, when I go back, it seems to be more difficult. It's not so natural. It's not so easy. So what you do is put it in the context with absolutely everything else you do. If you allocate that time every day, it doesn't have to be specifically at the same time, right? For me, it's in mm -hmm. that area about between sort of 3.34 o'clock into around 5.36 o'clock, right? In that space, mm -hmm. I'm always thinking to have my time, right? So because it's there every day, right, is you sort of, your brain gets used to it, right? So you kind of get this little nudge that like, oh, today we're definitely going to snooze this one out. Yeah, because we could, I can feel it, right? So when I go, I sit down and I just nod it out and we had a little micro slip, right? Sometimes no indication whatsoever. So I might try and play a few new chords on my guitar. I might read a few more passages of the book I'm reading. I might just sit outside and just look at nature. I might listen to something, right? What I'm doing is just, it's a vacant mind space slot that is available for me and mm. my brain to take advantage of if we so wish, as required. But it's always there because it helps with the whole process. Now, when you start this, it's probably advisable because when people do it randomly, what happens is you will drift. And the reason why it's 30 minutes, pilots use 26, within that 30 minute slot, is inside of there, if you start to develop moving towards those non-REM and REM sleep stages, the slightly deeper sleep stages, what's going to happen is when that alarm goes off or you wake, you're going to feel really groggy, right? And not yeah. refreshed. So it's kind of like practice. Practice. Allocate the space. Do it every day. Don't expect to go to sleep. It's a vacant mind space that's just as valuable as anything else you're doing. Mm. And what it becomes is then it creates that little moment, that rhythm. So every time you go, right, I'm doing my 30 minutes, it's kind of like that's the trigger. So the more times you do it, you sort of go into a sleep state maybe 15 minutes, a bit longer, wake up, feel great, get on with it, right? At the start, you mm. could think, you know, I don't want to suggest anybody should use caffeine, but, you know, caffeine's used in all sorts of positive ways, and if you use caffeine, fine. But... You sort of a little bit of caffeine in a controlled way over your rolling 24 hours gives you a little nudge, right? And what it has about 15, 20 minutes to kick in. So a little bit of caffeine, part of an overall plan, right? A little bit of caffeine just before it. You drop into some sort of microsleep or not. It then starts to kick in a little bit and hops you out if you did, right? in a nice controlled way, like cyclists mm. on time trials. It's not, we don't want the highs and lows of caffeine, we just use it or not. Anyway, so if you put an alarm on and you just sit there, don't go into a micro sleep and the alarm goes off, you feel fine. Well, it's just, it's just timing a period for you, isn't it? If you did go into a micro sleep, it stops you going too far. 
And if you feel groggy, you're sort of like, good, because I stopped, you know, I was about to start shifting. That could have turned into like an hour. I was out with the fairies, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's kind of the alarm is to stop you going forward. The alarm is to just remind you that's the period of time you allocated. It means you've got confidence if you do go into a microsleep, something's going to kick you out of it. And the more you do it, the less that grogginess will start to appear. Because if anybody's got like a, gotcha. a dawn wake simulator light, an SAD lamp, seasonal effective, di you know, they produce 10,000 lux of blue light, right? And that is a strong level of light. And the blue light is what triggers your serotonin and unsuppresses all your functionality, right? And that's what happens at sunrise when we're outside in blue light. So you can have a little lamp. And so you can have that lamp and you can put it on a timer so it starts to come on 15 minutes into your 30 minutes. So that when you hop out of sleep, if you did hop out of sleep, when the alarm was up, that light is already making you feel fine because it's just nudging your serotonin level up a little bit, you know? So there's... You see what mm -hmm. I mean? Once you start doing it every day, seven days a week, 365, it's just part of your everyday routine, like trying to get eight hours at night. Mm. But it becomes a really positive... And what happens is you start to find little things that work for you, right? Of what you do in those 30 minutes, what you do sort of slightly before, during or after, that once you keep doing it, that grogginess just disappears. And you're still awake yeah. at 10 o'clock at night thinking, I want to go for a mountain bike ride. You know, still sunny, it's summer. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a month ago, you were sitting in front of the telly thinking, I want to go to sleep. I'm knackered. You know what I mean? So it's suddenly mm. these little moments that start to go, oh, that grogginess is disappearing because I do it every day. And I don't sleep every day, but it happens occasionally, and I'm glad I do it. That starts to shift. That starts to shift. And that's why I hate the word napping, kipping. Snoozers for losers. No, 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 no. If you, you would never give me a piece of advice that I could take one glass of water a day and get away with it, would you? You'd tell me that I have to hydrate at a higher level than that and regularly. Eating is the same. If I said to you, I'm not going to exercise for the next month, you go, well, you've got to do something. You've got to walk at least for 30 minutes. You can't do absolutely nothing, surely. So we have these really specific factors, these really good markers that we know we cannot sort of mess around with too much because we know the consequences. Mm. And as soon as you get that in and go, it is a controlled recovery period for me and my brain that equals I go quicker and faster, achieve more, healthier, more dynamic, will live longer, will achieve all my goals, will achieve all my objectives, and any challenge that comes my way, I will smash it and deal with it with good levels of stress, managing the difficult times of stress, anxiety, and everything that comes my way, I am absolutely comfy to take it on, right? And that's what that 30 mm -hmm. minutes. Or it's a nap and a waste of time to others. Pick your choice. I know where <laughs> I'd be. <laughs> Nice. I love it. Can you, 
Can you um, shift chronotypes? Obviously, you hear some people say, "Hey, you can be a morning, you can be a night person and turn yourself into a morning person, etc." Is that something that you can do, or you would ever advise someone? Well, what it sort of is is, you can't stop the sun going around our planet, and you're a human being, right? So, any any change mm -hmm. in that, we won't be around, right? And that's our challenge in the modern world today. So there, that's it, right? We give that a twenty-four hour period. Now, what happens is that humans have to live in all sorts of different places on the planet, northern, southern hemisphere, here, there, everywhere. There's different climates, different cultures, different all sorts of things. You know, so you sort of go, you get this natural circadian clock of your zip code, your postcode, which if you were born on the west coast of America or the east coast of America, your, your clocks will be different inside you, subtly, because of that natural rhythm. So you know that. Mm. Um, we can all see the sun and the moon wherever we are on this planet. So it gives you that sort of mindset of, hang on a minute, you know, keep that in place. What you do is then, you're going to be, you know, a surgeon and you have to work night shifts. You're a firefighter, you're a policeman, you're a pilot, you're a parent. Um, nowadays, you know, we have 24-hour businesses and shops and everything else. So you just do it. You're doing a normal job, but you work nights and shift patterns. So what you do is you just adapt, don't you? So you camouflage your natural chronotype. So you can't change it. It's a genetic twist in a gland. Mm. You can't have it operated out yet. Maybe you could. But what you can do is ignore it, camouflage <laughs> it, and overstimulate around it. right? And so when you're doing that, you sort of go, well, I'm actually putting myself under more pressure than I would like, ideally, every rolling 24 hours because mm. what I'm doing is counterintuitive to my natural chronotype but it's it's also creating other pressures for me because maybe I'm over caffeinating maybe there's too many energy drinks going down my mm. neck trying to get past it maybe I'm just you know pushing it at the gym too much pushing this here pushing that there just trying to keep myself active all the time to push past these little moments that I'd naturally sort of take for myself. So you can ignore it, you can camouflage it, you can adapt and adjust as a human being to almost anything that's coming your way uh, because it's amazing. However, you always want to be conscious about when you make choices. And we've all got to deal with this, everything that we do, but it's kind of like what we do know is that AMers do not like flying through time zones. They don't like shifts. You know, they love breakfast. They love getting up early. They don't really like the evenings and late nights. Well, it's not their thing. It's not their natural That's rhythm and their circadian flow. So it's like, <laughs> but the PMers do like shifts. They do like the nights. They do like, you know, so if you were going to be a pilot, the PMer can be a long-haul pilot, not a problem. The AMer, as a pilot, wants to do short-haul shifts, right? Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, mm -hmm. you know that if you're going to be, you want to be a pilot in that example, and you know that part of that occupation might have sort of its long-haul stuff, it's not to avoid it, but what you have to say is, I know so many pilots who did long haul on their morning chronotypes, and after 10 years, they've had enough. They probably had enough after the first mm. year. 
after the five years. What they've been doing is compensating like mad for something that's going on all the time is they are naturally fighting a natural rhythm to their day by being a long-haul pilot as an AMR. Mm. Right? So we're starting to we're starting to sort of use this uh, knowledge we have now to and certainly the work I've done and what was in that book and there's another one coming out soon which is slightly different but oh, um, awesome it's more like a workbook handbook you know because inside the book you read so many years ago there was a technique <laughs> hidden in there somewhere wasn't it the R90 technique recovery cycles mm-hmm. you know looking at it all those various key factors well that's all being put together inside a handbook that you can just download and, and create your own approach, yeah, with me by your side sort of thing. Um, so I think it's just, it's just become very apparent that humans are not that smart, you know, and they, they keep doing things, amazing, absolutely exciting things, but sometimes we just don't think about the consequences too much. We just bowl on in there. We're reminded all the time that the key to anybody's success is to remind yourself you're a human being and remind yourself of your inside and outside balance. Because whether you like going camping or not, right? Everybody's aware that going for a walk outside or sitting outside on the bench or sitting by the coast or by a river or by the mountains, it doesn't take too long, does it, for you to sort of go, well, life's not that bad, is it? Right? Because it's that sort of <laughs> shift, isn't it? If you ever go camping for a week or something, you're out in the mountains, but it doesn't take that long because you've got no fancy mattresses, you've got no real security, but suddenly you start waking up naturally. You start having breakfast when you probably wouldn't normally do and rush off. There's a bit more space in the day. You're getting more of that synchronised process. Lots of the right light, blue light, midday, you know, morning, midday. Lots of that sort of more melatonin type light amber light in the evening and everything's just within sort of like 48 hours you wonder why you want to go home you know what i mean it's sort of like wow so what you're sort of trying to say to yourself is sit down get a piece of paper or whatever stick it on your pad get your pencil out and just go you know try to sort of reflect that if you if you went away for a week or something like that on a holiday and on a break like that even if you're with other people and family it's just how far are you away from that as an everyday approach and so it's not worry about it because some people live in apartments and city blocks and live in busy cities and some people live in the countryside and some people live in different parts of the world it's just a sort of you know it's just this aggregation of marginal gains isn't it if you can just start to do little mm. things in cycle one from 6.30 into 8, 8 into 9.30, move into cycle eight, and then you're doing your little 30 minutes. Then you're doing that, then you do that. And you're sort of doing little things each week, each month, that just keep building up. Suddenly you find what is your optimized rhythm. And you sort of think, well, at least I've moved some percentage point towards that outside natural human life. So I'm improving what's going on so I get a better balance, right? It's all about regaining your balance. So sometimes the pressure will sort of tip you a little bit, you know, in that direction. 
So what you do is just make those subtle changes again and just bring it back, right? And that's really what sleep is all about, to stop worrying about it. It's just, you know now how to optimise your best balance as, as you as a human being. And it is that relationship with that whole thing, you know, that's key to your success. Mm -hmm. No, that, that, that's a perfect way to end this podcast too, Nick. So thanks for coming on. And for anyone who wants to learn more, read more, make sure you pick up his book. There'll be a link in the description for that too. But where can people follow you and find you, Nick? Um, I'm, I'm a sport, no S, sleep coach. So sportsleepcoach.com. Um, I'm always chucking, you know, content up there. There's the social media places, you know, Instagram, TikTok, all the places you can find it. Where I, I'm not a prolific <laughs> poster. I sort of post when I think there's something worth saying um, or sharing. Um, there's a little audible course on the website, so which I did myself with a company. So you can you can just listen while you're walking the dog or riding your bike or even fighting in the ring or whatever. Listen to me talking to you about <laughs> little steps. There's the book. Um, it's still relevant, you know. It's moving into its eighth year now. Um, it's in eighteen languages around the world: Arabic, Japanese, Chinese. We're all human. We all sleep. So everything in that book just applies to everybody, whoever you are. And even though maybe some of it might be, I wouldn't say out of date. I think that's understating it a little bit. But it's definitely worth a read. And if it gets you on that first step of making some little changes, um, that would be amazing. I can tell you that's amazing. You know, you're talking to me after seven years of reading that book. So it must have had some yeah. impact. <laughs> for but sure. yeah, that's for sure. You, you for know. sure. No, awesome. No, so for anyone, those will be down in the description too to check out. But thanks for coming on, Nick. Appreciate it. No problem at all. Hey, go and get one of your little CRPs that you stopped doing. Bring it back into your life. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, I need to do it. That's what I'm going to do today. All right, mate. <laughs>